0: You're listening to a Dulan Productions podcast. Listener discretion is it voiced
1: Born on June 6th, 1945 was a disturbed individual that would plague various parts in the state of New York. Though he would be convicted and sentenced to prison for one crime, an unfortunate decision to let him out on parole would lead to the deaths of many more to come. His name was Arthur Shawcross, also known as the Genesee River Killer, and we will be taking a look into his life and murders he committed. This is Serial Time, a Serial Killer podcast. I'm your host, hunter strickland and join me as always is my co-host jason sparks jason how you doing man
0: i'm doing well how are you hunter
1: pretty good you got that live cereal going on today
0: i'm actually rocking some special k today baby hey. changing it up
1: hey at least you're changing it up man i just keep it uh, keep on going with the same stuff just keep on the cinnamon toast crunch grind
0: it's that good stuff man
1: hey it's that good stuff man got, got, got that pure sugar i guess you could say <laughs> that's all it is that's all it is Well, Jason, as I said, we're going to be talking about Arthur Arthur Shawcross. He was born Arthur John Shawcross in Kittery, Maine. He was one of four children to Arthur Roy Shawcross and Elizabeth Shawcross. His family uh, would move to Watertown, New York when he was young. And it was during his youth that it was determined that he did have a low IQ. Though he did fairly well in school, his first couple of years tests showed that his IQ was about 86, which was below average among his peers. I'll stop right there, Jason. What does that tell you? I want to see, get your opinion about it. Like, what does that tell you about if he does suffer from like uh, from a low IQ? Knowing what w- is going to happen later on in his life, what does that tell you?
0: So that makes me think. It makes me have an indignation that he is going to be disorganized, um, which that's not coherently always true Mm -hmm. but i feel as if in this instance it is going to be um and honestly hunter just kind of looking from doing some quick research as we're as we're going through this so he was born in maine lived in new york and honestly this being an alabama boy and you being a tennessee boy (laughs) he looks like just some country hick you know it's it's kind of interesting how you know we we sometimes visualize uh, our northern counterparts as being a, a little bit more sophisticated, I guess you could say. More but urban, even, I think too. More urban, sure. yeah, yeah, definitely. But no, he looks like a true blue southern hick. Hey,
1: I tell you what, I've been there's I've been to New York, not New York City, and there's some rural areas in New York. It's kind of mm. crazy. I would have never, I have the same opinion you did. I would have never thought that too. But there are some very rural parts in new york and that's hilarious that you said he's a hick
0: he really that, like that's immediately what i thought when i saw this gentleman i was like this dude looks like a country bumpkin
1: this guy should be from alabama not new york Or from tennessee like you said he should be one of from one of our states not from new york yeah you just don't think about that but yeah there's some real parts there
0: yep but you know what new york you guys can keep them alabama does not want
1: them yeah no and tennessee doesn't want them either i'll go ahead and throw that out there too jeez well Arthur claimed that he was molested at the age of nine by an aunt but his family refute refuted these claims he also even made claims that he had sexual relationships with his younger sister and mother what do you think about that
0: uh what um
1: I know that's what I thought too when I first researched that and I left out some details too because I don't want to get too graphic in this but yeah it's it's
0: kind of understandably so um but claiming to have been molested at age nine and then to have by had, an aunt too, not just some random person
1: by a family member, by,
0: by a family member. Um, and then having incest with not only his younger sister, which is disturbing enough, but yeah. also his own mother.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's I'll go ahead and say it. It kind of seems like it, you already can tell he's a little bit of a liar, But granted, we don't know. I don't want to say that because we don't truly know. But at the same time, there is no evidence to support his claims. It is word of mouth. And when we talk a little bit more about him, I'll let you be the judge of that. But it's, I don't know. It's just, we're trusting from the mouth of a guy who not only is a serial killer, but is probably a pathological liar too.
0: Yeah, and I, I can definitely understand that claim from not knowing too much yet but mm-hmm. someone who is a serial killer is for the most part they have mental issues and mm-hmm. uh difficulties in their mental capacity but it, it's you you find it hard to find credence in the stories they say and the hardships that they faced which mm-hmm. don't get me wrong there's a, a very high statistical number of these individuals who, who have gone through severe trauma Oh yeah, but the, knowing the end result, it feels like it it takes away a lot of the credence.
1: It it really does too. And like I said, it doesn't take away. This could have possibly happened to him.
0: It's just hard to believe it too, just
1: because there is no evidence. Same time, if it did happen, that's a horrible thing to happen to anybody. That it's unfathomable if that if any of that did truly happen, and not that it gives is any excuse for what comes later. At least opens the door to for us to understand why, right. in my opinion. So, absolutely. But yeah, well, we'll move on a little bit. He would later on also claim that he was experimenting with his sexuality at the age of eleven. First, he went through a homosexual homosexual encounter. Then, apparently, he even explored bestiality. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah, no, another what moment right there, isn't it?
0: yeah a little bit um one one thing uh because me and bobby say it all the time words are hard i know (laughs) um
1: yeah no, i don't know why i was struggling (laughs) uh
0: but to experiment at such an early age with homosexuality and also that having been in the 50s i mean that was still such a a frowned upon thing but then to Essentially, take it a thousand steps further to where it's just what I believe to be unnatural. I'm not saying homosexuality is is unnatural, You're but about I'm the saying same thing. You're about the the, the, the horrific thing of bestiality. That's yeah how uh, yeah how deprived is a eleven year old child of sex that he would explore to such extent.
1: Yeah, I think we can safely assume that that is still taboo. Absolutely. Absolutely. It also begs the question of, if these claims aren't true, it just shows that he was seeking attention. That's what he was, he was just seeking to be noticed. Maybe he wasn't being one of four children, maybe he was lacking attention, maybe this is his way of getting it. But if this is true, then, yeah, you got a good point. What led to this? Because that is not natural. I don't care what anybody says. That's not natural. And why did it lead to that?
0: Absolutely not. You know, if, if you want to experiment, you think, you know, you might be homosexual. For sure. You do you. You figure you know, out who you are. Bestiality. No, I'm drawing that line. That's <laughs> that's no one. That's, that should never be anyone. And I cannot mm. fathom that it could be.
1: Yeah, it kind of blows my mind. It it really does. But we'll go ahead and move on because, Jason, you know, what's one thing that we've been talking about actually these last couple of episodes? There's pretty important um, piece of, like, scientific experiments that people have done to determine someone's a serial killer. The triangle. Yes, because we're about to talk about that because Arthur was known to have struggled with bedwetting As we know, that is one of the parts of the McDonald Triad. And he was also known to be very violent towards his classmates, being labeled as a bully. He would also later drop out of high school in 1960 after failing the ninth grade. So we can also take in that low IQ that we've been talking about and throw in that one of those parts of the triad. It kind of shows you where his path is leading at this point.
0: I don't know. uh, I, I feel like there's definitely a lot to unravel Um, and it, I have to imagine at this point just from the episodes we've done prior, the main reason we know some of these details is because, like I said, I have to imagine Arthur Shawcross liked to talk.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll let you find out. No, I'll not just spoil it. But you got a good point because I mean, we're already seeing here that he's making a lot of claims. Mm-hmm. and obviously a lot of these claims are not made in the moment. They're made after the fact, after what we're about to delve into and everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he, you can tell that he, he does like to talk. Yeah. So that would be a very good observation on your part.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Yeah,
1: no problem. Over the next few years, Arthur would be suspected of several crimes such as arson. He served some time in 1963 when he smashed a window to a local shop. In 1964, he would get married to a woman named Sarah. They would have a son together that was born in October 1965. Having a newborn would make you think that Arthur would try to change his old ways, but he would get arrested in November that year, not even a month after his son was born uh, for unlawful entry. With that, on top of what is suspected to be spousal, spousal abuse on Arthur's part, Sarah divorced him as his arrest was the last straw. Arthur gave up his parental rights to his son and never saw him again. So Jason, I'll take that in. Cause this is about a two year span from the first note I made to right there. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah. Uh, he's sorry. already not got a great track record. Um, and it's interesting to see how his crimes Will continue to progress, and like the point you brought up, how you would hope that having a child would kind of straighten him out a little bit, but mm-hmm. obviously, he's still just not in the right mindset to do so.
1: And also, I just thought about this. We don't, we didn't really talk much about his childhood, comparative to some of the other people we've gotten a chance to talk about. Mm-hmm. So it shows that not a lot's done granted we are it's still in that time frame where mental health is not looked at the same way as it is today i wonder if though was there anything that his parents did to seek help or anything i just wondered that because it seems like other than the claims he made about his family nothing else is mentioned about his family after like those two claims he made there's nothing else mentioned about his family which is kind of interesting to me that it shows there's no connection with him and his family
0: yeah so it kind of makes me wonder i would have to think that his parents did not get him any sort of help or any sort of psych evaluation and i don't want to say that in a degrading way but we just don't know but in a similar sense let's say he did go to just a doctor um to they let his parents pose some of the questions and everything, but I wonder if there's the potential of a doctor who in their eyes is a medical professional who they're going to essentially take his word as law, uh, in some essence, but him being revealed to have a low IQ. Cause I imagine even as a child, you know, he never developed. And so as a result, that's kind of, why they believe that the problems he had were just due to that
1: yeah it's there's good points i just don't know And like you said we don't have enough information this is the let's see at this point it was the six or late 50s early 60s so Mm -hmm. we don't have enough information we don't know it's just interesting to see and but like we said in the her Baumeister episode The treatment for that time isn't necessarily seen as good anymore. So maybe they could have possibly taken the same approach with that, that they didn't want their son to be exposed to that either because it could have done more harm than good.
0: That or it's quite possible that they just knew that they couldn't afford it.
1: That's a good point, too, because I could imagine at that time, I mean, even now, it's still expensive to treat that. Mm -hmm. So good point, Jason. Look at you. You just got a bunch of good points today.
0: Hey, I, I'm not used to all this praise. Usually yeah. me and Bobby are just bitching at each other the entire time. So hey, I'm eating this up right now. Hey, keep I'll,
1: I'll keep on praising you, man. I won't be like him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as we continue, um, Arthur would get married again in 1967. This was before he got drafted by the United States Army for the Vietnam War that was ramping up. This marriage was also followed in divorce. He would go on to serve one tour in Vietnam, where he claimed that he would behead people and nail their heads to trees as warnings to the Viet Cong. Arthur further made claims that he engaged in cannibalism as well. More fabrications came from Shawcross, like a 39 total kill kill count. Words are really hard today, Jason. You aren't kidding. During this (laughs) tour but there is no evidence for any of his claims with the reality being that he never served in any combat capacity. So Jason, we'll stop right there. These are pretty brutal and outlandish claims that from what I just said right there, they're pretty much fabrications. Like I just said, what do you make of all that?
0: Yeah, they're, they're wholehearted fabrications and it, it feels kind of like we've touched on a little bit already that after his incarceration, which I have to imagine is coming up at some point, mm-hmm. um, but he built up these stories to be remembered and to potentially also to be feared that he wanted people to know of how hardened of a killer he was even before his serial killings, that he's always been this way um, and that he is sick and demented for cutting off people's heads and not even developing into cannibalism but i wonder if since like you said he never served in a combat uh area if these were essentially i don't know what how i want to phrase this but like a fantasy of his that this is what he wishes he was doing because there is Uh, laws essentially in, in war, like you, you can't really just go around chopping people's heads off, putting them on pikes and and eating bodies and stuff like that. You really can't do that. Um, And any, any soldier within the United States military for the most part uh, during Vietnam would look very down upon that. And any officer I'm sure would have sent him straight back, you know, to be incarcerated in a military prison.
1: I would like to politely ask you to get out of my head because that was a that was what I thought about too was that it was some dark <laughs> fantasy. I was literally about to say that until I heard you say it. I was like, "Wow!" I was thought took the words right out of my mouth. Nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah, that's what I thought too was that this was some type of dark fantasy because if he wasn't serving a um, like any type of combat um, area or in any sort of fighting that he had to have been obviously away from all the war, probably thinking that he wished he was in it, and he started thinking about all these things he would do if he was in the battle. That's the only thing I could think of why he would make these claims. That That's the only thing that makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, and, and honestly, Hunter, I, I just kind of got this idea. So he was born in 1945. Mm-hmm. So through his young childhood, he probably is being surrounded by men who had served in World War II mm-hmm. and who probably did also embellish their war stories to an extent. Not everybody. Um, some people will never talk about their war stories because it's so such a horrifying thing to witness. But I wonder if the possibility is he had heard these lavish war stories and he wanted to come back with his own.
1: That's a good point, too then that would actually make a lot of sense because you're right around that time when he was growing up, world war II is still very fresh in people's minds. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that did come back obviously had stories about that time in their lives. And like you said, a lot of people do like to embellish their stories. So he probably heard some of those if it was true, obviously not everybody would do that, but let's say he did hear some of those stories he probably wanted to make his own like that, too, then, after hearing some of that. Absolutely. So. Well, after he was discharged from the Army in 1968, he would move to Clayton, New York, where he would again be arrested for arson. He was convicted and sentenced to five years in prison, only serving 22 months in part because he saved a correctional officer from a prison riot. He would be released in October 1971. I just thought that was a pretty interesting story. Honestly, the fact that he's supposed to serve five years, only served about two years because
0: he saved someone. So, so let me. I'm gonna get to that point, but let me backtrack just a little bit. So he gets drafted in 1967, correct?
1: Uh, yes, that's correct.
0: And then he's discharged one year later. Yes. I cannot imagine after serving one tour that they would have honorably discharged him
1: ah uh, that's a good question i i don't know i don't want to say i would know i i'm just not going to say i don't know i would imagine probably not but I'm um, have no experience in the military they could have possibly done that for one tour who knows maybe yeah. it didn't say why he got discharged it could have possibly been medically discharged who knows
0: Yeah, I imagine a lot of that paperwork is lost to history because there was Mm -hmm. so much to go through during the Vietnam War. But to jump back forward a little bit, so he gets out of the military and commits arson, gets Mm -hmm. sentenced to five years in jail, already has a a terrible track record. And like you said, he saves the life of a, a CO in the prison system. Very interesting story. And whenever
1: I read that too, I was like, wow, did not expect that.
0: Especially when you know the end result. Like... Oh, yeah.
1: No, because I think you had mentioned this to me before, and this was off air, wasn't with anything else. But usually whenever we're talking about people who are serial killers, don't necessarily talk about them ever doing something to this magnitude. Hmm. And just because it's not their nature, most of them are, not all of them, a lot of them do have uh, the personality disorders that would not uh, coincide with some doing something like this. So it's very interesting just to see that play out in someone who we know, obviously, we wouldn't be talking about him who is a serial killer.
0: Yeah, even the uh, Herbert Baumeister episode where we talked about his company gave uh, money to charity. You know, it was very yeah. philanthropic and is very. Uh, very much a statistical anomaly and so is Arthur Shawcross for saving the life of an individual who is in essence keeping him within the prison system
1: yeah it's it, it's just something wild it's something that you would have never thought you would learn about someone who we know is, has a horrible path but did something like this it's pretty pretty crazy to think about
0: absolutely and and I want to touch on too because I doubt this theory is correct because I I I'll say this. I cannot imagine he is methodical and devious enough to see this right happening and think if I can save this CEO, then I will hopefully be able to light my sentence. I just don't think with how his IQ is that he would have been able to think like that. But I could totally be wrong. You know, that's not 100 percent true or, you know, I'm not saying it's not possible, but I just don't think it's probable.
1: I am had to be on the same boat with you, too. I don't think it was probable. I think it might have just been a spur of the moment. He saw this guy. who's was in trouble. He thought, I'm just like, I got to save him. Maybe it was mm-hmm. a guy that was actually treated him good within the penal system. Who knows? Yeah, it's a good. I thing don't. Like yeah. But I think you're right. I don't think he is just something premeditated where he thought, oh, if I do this, I'll get out early. I don't think he ever thought that. Mm-mm. Well, upon his release from prison, Arthur moved back to his childhood city of Watertown where he got a job at the Watertown Public Works Department. It would occur on April 7, 1972, that Shawcross would commit his first murder when he took 10-year-old Jack Blake out fishing before the boy was never heard from again. It was around this time that Arthur would get married to his third wife, who was pregnant with his second child. This occurred three weeks after Jack was dead. It would take authorities about five months before they would they discover Jack's body. It was at, disco- at the discovery of his body that they learned the boy had been raped and strangled to death. Around the time they discovered his body, the Genesee killer would take the life of his second victim, eight-year-old Karen Hill. Karen was visiting Watertown when her mother with her mother for the Labor Day weekend when Arthur took her. He did the same as he did to Jack, raped and murdered the little girl. Her body was found under a bridge. Neighbors had witnessed Arthur walking with the girl near the vicinity of the bridge, and this led to him being the primary suspect for local authorities. He would be arrested for both crimes on October third, nineteen seventy-two. So, Jason, I'll take a little break right there. What do you What do you make of this?
0: Oh, just the the, the death of a child, the murder. Of a child even further is just so shocking, but to go even further to have it being the rape and murder of a child, mm-hmm. I just cannot imagine how sick and demented Arthur Shawcross is at this point. And just doing real quick math. He's about 27 years old at the time when he commits his first murder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: like you said, one thing, it, it just really tugs up my heart whenever like, something like that happens to anybody, but especially children. It's beyond belief how someone could possibly do that to someone who's innocent like that. It's, it's just mind-boggling, and it's nothing short sure horrific. And like you said, he's 27 years old around this time for him to do that. It's just... It's just unfathomable and does nothing but just make you cringe on the inside, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, 27 years old, getting married to his third wife, having his second child, and Mm. he has that gruesome and hideous nature hiding within him. And I have to imagine that since this is only two instances, i do not believe that fully classifies him to be a serial killer so i am already shocked and appalled of what's about to come
1: oh just wait there's something that's about to happen that's not even related to what he's going to do that's going to have you really questioning everything but before we get into that i just want to highlight too it kind of shows you too how much he didn't care and this is just my opinion maybe just the low iq's playing in but he didn't even try to hide what he like that he was with this little girl. Multiple people saw him with her. So it wasn't in an instance where he was trying to do it in the cover of the night or what have you. He was seen by multiple people walking with this little girl to this spot where he would eventually murder her. And that I don't know if that's the sense of he just didn't care or if that's where his low IQ is playing in. I don't know. I just didn't know what you thought about that
0: personally, I subscribe to it being he's just not having the foresight that's that low IQ kind of seeping its way in that. More than likely, he knows what he's doing is wrong, but I don't think it's the fact that he believes he can get away with it. It's just that he's just not thinking about it. He's just going to do what is on the forefront of his mind and then go about his day.
1: That's a good point. I think that's why I probably subscribe to more as well. I just didn't know what you thought. It would make a lot more sense if that's what the case was, but then again, we don't know. Maybe it could have been the former. Who knows? I just didn't know what you thought, Jason. Right. Well, he did go to trial and he would be found guilty by a grand jury for both deaths. After it was agreed that he would take a plea deal to lesser to lessen his charges to manslaughter, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. The district attorney at the time cited the reason for the plea bargain was due to a lack of evidence authorities had on the Jack Blake case. Even though he was committed convicted of murdering two children, Arthur was released from prison after only serving 14 years in prison. Now, Jason, I wanted to like say all that and let you have the full thing. What do you think about that?
0: Um, so it's kind of becoming my catchphrase up to this point, but uh, what? What? <laughs> I know. Whenever I read that too, it blew me away. Fourteen fucking yeah. years. Yeah. For the murder and rapes of two children.
1: What kind of still blows my mind is how do they? Um, and then again, I don't know. I'm not a police officer or detective or anything. How did they not have enough evidence for that one case?
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I I do not know. There were it, it appeared that there were plenty of eyewitnesses to link him to the crime. And I don't know how one wasn't enough. And they felt as if they needed two to put this guy behind bars for life or the death penalty. But I don't know. I am, uh, as I, I stated earlier before we got to this point, I am shocked and appalled.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's unfortunate, and we're about to get into, obviously, why he is a ser- serial killer in a minute, because, you know, this is not the end for him, as we mm-hmm. still got plenty more to talk about. It's just, it's appalling, because I'll go ahead and tell you, the reason why he was released after 14 years is because inexperienced social workers and poli- uh, prison staff deemed him no longer a threat, even though psychiatrists assessed him as being a schizoid psychopath, he was released in April of 1987. So, in that instance, you should listen to the psychiatrist. That's Yay. just what I'm saying.
0: You should listen to the person who's got years more of education than you do. Mm-hmm. And you're going to look at this man's track record of arson, burglary, trespassing. And now the murder and rapes of two two children. And you're going to deem him fit for society after serving only 14 years within the prison system.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it?
0: Nope, not, not a lick. I, I'm trying to fathom it. Um, but no, I, I, I cannot find any indignation that would lead me to believe that this is okay.
1: Yeah, I think we're on the same boat there. It doesn't make any sense, but we'll go ahead and move forward with it. So after his release, he did try to resettle back into society. However, wherever he went, there would be a public outcry that followed due to the nature of him being a child killer. Understandably so. Yep. I don't blame those people for feeling that way either because I would probably feel the same way. Mm -hmm. But he would get married to his fourth wife, Rosie Wally, and they had to relocate on three different occasions when his neighbors became aware of who he was. This led to courts sealing his records and hope to soothe the outcry, a mistake that will come back to haunt them.
0: Holy crap. Uh, I, I am lost at words here, so we are willing to lock the records of an individual who has done all these heinous acts i I won't repeat them because i've repeated them several times and i'm sure i will later on the episode (laughs) to protect him from society when they need to protect society from him yeah it doesn't make any sense no it doesn't uh, make
1: make a lick of sense like you said
0: i am you are just continuing to baffle me in this case
1: well, that's what um, and, i'm here for
0: and i no longer know what to think yeah it's
1: it's terrible especially what's about to happen and it just makes you question why but at the same time we're not in control of that so it, it does it just doesn't make any sense i have no idea
0: well, yeah, and, yeah. And i want to touch on he gets married to his fourth wife and they have to relocate on several different instances and she stays with this dude
1: yeah i don't know honestly it doesn't make any sense and that's why um, you hear instances of serial killers being able to get people like fans like that not necessarily saying she's a fan but they're able to and just for like a better term you can correct me if i'm wrong i guess manipulate people uh-huh. to a sense and that may be what this case is he is manipulating her like Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Whatever happened, whatever they're saying about me is not true. I promise I'm not that person anymore. Maybe that's what he's doing to Rosie. And that's the reason why she's staying, but I'm on board with you. Why is she not thinking like, okay, I've been relocated three times because of this guy what's going on.
0: Yeah. I think it'd be starting to raise some questions and I'm not disagreeing with you, but at the same time, I just, personally don't subscribe to him being able to manipulate to that extent. Yeah. I feel like it's more his ability to threaten because I don't think he has the the wit about him to manipulate to use his words. He would rather use his burly stature to do that instead. That would actually
1: probably make a lot more sense. That's a good point. That would actually make a lot more sense and that could be that or she could also just be outrageously in love with him that he doesn't even need to do that she's just going to stick by him no matter what who knows really what the case is
0: yeah that's fair so.
1: well they finally did settle down in rochester new york in october 1987 but it would not be long till he would return to his murderous ways arthur would start his killing spree in march of 1988 but he would change up his targets from children to the local sex workers his first victim in this new string D- uh, dorothy blackburn was killed on March twenty fourth, 1988, by strangulation, and her body was found by hunters in the Genesee River. So, Jason, I just want to get your opinion real quick. Kind of, usually you don't see people who switch up targets like that. What are your thoughts on that?
0: No, you really don't. Typically, they have a demographic that they target, and for him to change it up to sex workers, I don't know if now i'm getting some indignation that he might be a little bit methodical that maybe he's reading headlines or newspapers of people who have similar interests to him which these interests are some of the most horrifying things which is serial killing Mm -hmm. and so these instances involve the murder of sex workers and so maybe that's why he thinks he might be more successful in killing sex workers and can prolong being captured i don't know if that's what it is or or what changed in him to essentially change up part of his mo but it's also interesting that he continues on the path of strangulation so in i believe it's most i could be completely incorrect but i believe in most serial killers who perform their killings by strangulation it's by and part of sexual frustration and i i do kind of feel some indignation of that in arthur Shawcross cross because of what he had done in the 70s but at the same time i'm i'm still kind of left with a lot of questions
1: uh that would actually make a lot of sense if it's because of sexual um, sexual frustration, because we see early on that he is struggling with his sexuality as a child, and that would make a lot of sense for him as an adult to take it out on his victims. Mm-hmm. I think that I think I would probably subscribe to that because that makes a lot of sense for him for the reason to do that. When it comes to him switching victims, I I couldn't tell you maybe because. We're dealing with a man who, by all sense, is not very intelligent, but he had the foresight to think, hey, maybe if I switch from children to sex workers, maybe I won't get caught as easily as I did before.
0: Yeah. I don't know. There's there's not as much of an uproar when a sex worker dies versus a child.
1: Oh, yeah. It's night and day, almost, the difference between that and how much people truly feel about that, so... I don't know. It's pretty interesting to see, like, if he did have that foresight. Where did that come from? Because as we've seen before, he's not the smartest person in the world, but he does make that decision. It's I don't know. It's it's interesting for to uh, without anything better to say. It's interesting.
0: Absolutely, yeah. To say the very least. Yeah. Say the very least. Well, he would go on to commit two
1: more murders in July of that year. And as well, he commanded two more in September, October of 1989. All of them were killed by strangulation and dumped in the river. So we can see there, too, he has a pattern. He would strangle them and then throw them in the Genesee River, hence his name. Yep. Yep. Well, in November of that year, he would also, this would be his busiest month, as he would take the lives of four more sex workers in the area, as authorities realized they were dealing with a serial killer in their streets. With these murders seeming to be linked to one another, local law enforcement sought out FBI profilers to assist in the investigation. The profilers came up with several theories revolving around the method of killing and dumping the bodies in the Genesee River, while also determining that the killer returned to the scenes of his crimes. Three more bodies will be discovered between mid-December to early January of 1990, Bring in the total to twelve sex, work, sex workers that had been that had their lives taken. So Jason, I just want to bring up to you one. Obviously, you can see his body count has risen tremendously within what nine months, ten months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we get to twelve. Pretty interesting though that the law enforcement were so. They saw what that what the situation was. Realized they probably couldn't handle it and said, you know what? We're getting the FBI involved.
0: Yeah, you hate the fact that they weren't able to prevent so many killings. But at the same time, you are glad to see that, like you said, that they feel as if they are not fitted for what they have in front of them. And so they are reaching out to the experts within the FBI uh, to help them with their investigation. So props on them for that. But at the same time, like I said, you know, it is still sad to see that so many women did lose their lives um, before yeah. we got to this point.
1: 100 percent, especially the fact that it dro- drug on for 10 months from March 24th to actually my bad. That's not 10 months. That's actually a, that's a year, almost two years, actually. It mm-hmm. looks like he killed his first one in 1988, killed like a couple more later, 1989, and then spread it out all the way to. 1990. So really, this is a two-year span that he is doing this. If this action would have been taken sooner, maybe we wouldn't have had so many people have lost their lives. So you're right; it's just tragic that came to twelve people losing their lives because of all this.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Authorities did catch a break though. On January 2nd, 1990, an eyewitness and a surveillance team spotted a man on the bridge overlooking the river that one of the victims' bodies was found. They found him urinating into the body of water. His name was Arthur Shawcross. Were you surprised?
0: Not in the slightest. And just to kind of go ahead and jump the gun, I feel as if the reason he did this was something that a lot of serial killers do to where they go back to the scene of the crime to essentially relive that instance.
1: Oh, yeah, and... Maybe his way of, by him urinating on it too was him, like you say sometimes too, throwing up a middle finger. Maybe not only to law enforcement but to his victims as well.
0: Yeah, just to- showing a, a total lack of regard for the actions he's done.
1: Oh yeah, and he's just taking pleasure in it too by doing this as well. Yeah. He did get away before they were able to catch him, but they were all they were able to get his license plate on the vehicle he was driving and they were able to arrest him on January 4th, 1990, ending his killing spree. Arthur was very cooperative with police, eventually admitting to them that he had killed 11 of the women they found, with his confession being 80 pages long. His two previous murders were brought up, as well as the sealed documents, leading authorities to believe that this move is why it took so long to track down the killer. Are we surprised by that? Probably not. No. So. Uh, he would go on trial for 10 of the murders. The other one he admitted to was outside the county, and, uh, and he went to trial for this in November of 1990. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity. His defense used a psychiatrist to state to the jury that Shawcross suffered from brain damage, dissociative identity disorders, PTSD from the war, as well as sexual abuse in his childhood. Now, Jason, I know we talked about this before. What were your thoughts again about the whole not guilty by reason of insanity?
0: Oh, it's it's such a a gray area. But when it comes to murder and especially serial killings, I always lean towards remorse for the victim. I mm-hmm. feel no remorse for the attacker. Mm -hmm. and especially in these instances I feel that it's partially a I I don't know how to say this, it's partially a partially a way that the lawyers potentially convinced him to take this plea instead and that on top of this psychiatrist coming forward and listing out all these disabilities and also trauma that he has mentally, I want to believe is partially not due to any type of psychological evaluation, but just from the words that comes out of Arthur Shaw across his mouth.
1: It's just such a slippery slope to look at because like you said, we always want to side with the victims because these, in this instance, these women lost their lives to this man. Mm-hmm. Not to take away from anything that could have happened in his life. At the same time, it doesn't excuse what happened, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, if, if all these things are true, I, mm-hmm. I, I hate it. that oh. That is terrible. I would ask that to not become of anybody. Oh, no, not but at all. In this instance, I... Do not feel bad for you after you've taken the life of 14 different individuals.
1: Exactly. Now, if this stuff is true about him, that he suffers from brain damage, DID, PTSD, all that stuff, obviously that's horrible. You're right. I just, they got one psychiatrist on. It's not saying this person isn't correct. At the same time, I feel like for this instance, there's got to be multiple people that agree on this. Mental health is such a slippery slope. I feel like they got to have more than just one person's opinion on it to prove this, in my opinion. What do you think?
0: No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, mm-hmm. Not to discredit this psychiatrist by no means, but since this is such a sensitive topic, I do agree wholeheartedly that there needs to be essentially a board of psychiatrists to hope to come to a similar or at least the same conclusion.
1: Yeah, you would think. And also, just bring up your point from earlier about how this guy likes to talk, what do you think about the 80-page long confession?
0: Um, To put this lightly, we've already kind of touched on, like you said, this guy likes to talk, and I've said that as well. But I, I'm kind of getting more of the, indi- <laughs> the belief that this dude doesn't know how to shut his damn mouth. That yeah, if if so they bad. get him, if they get him going, he's just going to keep going.
1: Yeah, he's just going to spill the beans on everything. It seems like he's he's just he's just open book to them at this point. He'll tell them anything they want to hear.
0: That that poor typesetter or or computer that was used to to write out this eighty page confession, I feel bad for. Yeah, I do feel kind of bad for them. That would not be fun. No. Not at all.
1: So. Well, the psychiatrist even told the jury that one of his personalities was actually the one committing the murders in an effort to have Arthur institutionalized instead of incarcerated. The prosecution was quick to dispel all these claims, especially about his childhood and military service, with the claims about his PTSD being described as wildly exaggerated. Arthur was uh, declared sane to stand trial, and he was later found guilty of all counts of murder brought before him. He received 25 years for each count, totaling to 250 years in prison, effectively putting him away behind bars for the rest of his life. We'll see about that, because we've seen way too many instances where something happens, but I'm just kidding. Obviously, this time, this put him away for good.
0: (laughs) I just didn't know what he
1: thought about that. Thank God. Uh, Yes, for real. Thank the good Lord they actually managed to do it. So, Well, he would... He was held in Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York, where he would stay till his death on November 10th, 2008, due to cardiac arrest. Now, interesting note, there were several interviews that Arthur had given during his time in prison. One of them, uh, it was an interview that surfaced about him talking about the killing of one of his victims, whose name was June Stout, with the details so chilling as he uh, explained how he cut open her body almost completely showing no remorse for his actions. He also did an interview in 2003 talking about how he ate parts of three of his victims.
0: What are your thoughts about that? Who boy. Um, so I'd be curious to know if these accounts, if there's any evidence to prove them to be true, because as we've kind of touched on this guy likes to embellish his stories and mm-hmm. obviously he's showing such a lack of empathy towards human life for mm-hmm. embellishing it in this way but oh man it at, at that point you know you, you you know he did it and then he goes on to continue to say these things and you know without a doubt he did it, and he enjoyed doing it oh and yeah and you really to the people who did these interviews you really start to understand. The monster that is a man in front of you.
1: Yeah. Like you said, though, we don't know if all what he claims to be true actually happened. At the same time, we do know he did commit them. Whatever he did, we don't truly know. It's still horrifying. And I don't, I could not be someone that talks to him and hear that and keep a straight faith because that would be horrifying to see someone talk about doing these acts to another human being and like i said he showed no remorse for this he could have possibly even been enjoying it who knows it's it's just crazy to think about that someone can do this to another human being
0: yeah i I wholeheartedly agree and like you touched on being the person to do these investigations i physically could not because i would become just so pissed off
1: oh yes at this
0: person that i just I don't know if I could control my rage. I am I am not a large man, and Arthur Shawcross is six feet tall, about 300 pounds. Very large. I, I would still just want to do un, unspeakable brutality against this man, but that's it's oh. not the right thing to do by no means, but I would not be able to control my anger in this person's presence. Oh, no, not a chance just because he does unspeakable
1: things to people when you <laughs> – it's just hard to show any type of remorse for someone like that. It's,
0: Absolutely. It's crazy. Cool.
1: Well, Jason, this concludes our look into the sick and twisted life of Arthur Shawcross, a man truly disturbed as he soullessly took the lives of many people that, couldn't have previ- that could have been prevented had they just kept him locked away for those 25 years instead of releasing him so early. So, Jason, you want to give any of your final thoughts? You have the floor, my guy.
0: Yeah, so... Just a few things to touch on. Like you recently brought up, he kills and rapes two children in the 70s and then is let go, seeing as how he is no longer a threat to society. And the correctional facility's choice resulted in the death. And it is just horrifying to me that they would have made this decision in the first place. And again, I want to say, I said this earlier on in the season, it was their decision that led to these women's death. And you you hate to see it and you really do hope that correctional facilities and law enforcement and and even legislatures realize that these decisions have consequences and you hope that they've learned from them. Uh, But to continue on, uh, something I usually touch on So in the very beginning of this, I made a statement that I had to imagine he would be a disorganized killer. And for the most part, I wanted to to hang that way. Uh, Just because we touched on he changed up his M.O. from going from children to sex workers. But the method of strangulation seemed to have stayed. And it was also very apparent that was due to sexual frustration and the fact that he also had a obviously had a common praying ground and then also had a place where he would dispose of the bodies makes me think that he did develop a very methodical mind and makes me do kind of lean towards he actually is an organized killer even though he does have such a low iq and did change up his mo i I'm still prone to lean more organized than disorganized in the finale.
1: Ah, it does make a lot more sense for him to be organized just because though he switched it up, I, I'm at this point, I believe he switched it up from his instance that he believed that he wouldn't have gotten caught if he went if he switched it to sex workers instead of keep on going towards children if he was killing people. But like you said, his method of killing and disposing of the body was the same for every single person. Mm-hmm. showing that he had he he planned them out as premeditated and he executed them the exact same way over and over again. It would make a lot more sense for him to be considered organized than disorganized. But just my final thoughts is just just the whole instance with him being let go early. Just one it hurts my soul more than anything just because a group of few individuals made a decision to let him go early and it resulted in 12 people 12 additional people dying and like you said i hope that this is a case that people learn from and they think really really hard before they let someone of a track record similar to arthur's go before they truly know like what this person has become in their times as being incarcerated and I'd rather you err on the side of caution than just assume that someone has rehabilitated. But that's just me. I don't know. It's this one mistake led to so many people losing their lives. It's just unfathomable to think about.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. <laughs> uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: One final thought I had is I'm curious since he did change up his mo and something i had kind of touched on if he was potentially inspired by other serial killers to to do so and also if he was inspired in my mind by wayne williams who was imprisoned for life in 1981 for killing two men and suspected of killing between 24 and 30 namely children uh he was known as or the events were known as the atlanta murders or the atlanta child murders where a lot of the bodies were dumped in the chattahoochee river and so i kind of wonder if since i kind of touched on he potentially found interest in other people who had similar interests, which was serial killing. If he kind of took pages from multiple of their books from going to sex workers and then also being inspired by Wayne Williams to dumping the rivers and the, their bodies in the river, but that that might be totally off the wall, but that's just kind of an, an idea that after we've came to this conclusion that I I'm kind of, Not fully subscribing to, but I I do believe has some credence to it. I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case. We just
1: don't know because he never made any mention of uh, someone inspiring him whenever he was caught. As we know, this man did like to talk a lot. Mm -hmm. He never did mention anything, but that's not to say he didn't. Maybe that's his way of not giving someone else credit for what he did. Mm -hmm. So that's not a bad point at all. It's actually probably a more valid point than what I said too. It's it's just we don't know. <laughs> we really just don't know. He he did like to say a lot of things, but he never did fully describe or we never got the answer as to why he made that change. Who knows? we it's anybody's guess at this point. Yeah. yeah. yeah unfortunately, no matter what way you slice it, people lost their lives and it's nothing short of tragic. Absolutely. So well, Jason. That's everything I got for this. I appreciate you taking on this, lack like of a better term, wild journey, look into the uh, the life of this man and the horrific things he did. Like I said, I think previous episode, we don't enjoy this. We really just look at this one from an educational standpoint because we never hope that anything like this ever happens again. And we just want people to be informed of like what, what truly is out there and just talk about it and give our opinions about it
0: yeah we hope that in futures time whenever we look back into the history of serial killers we're looking back at these instances and that these instances do not continue on into the future
1: exactly so well jason i'll let you take us home then
0: all right thank you hunter and thank you for tuning in to the genesee river killer episode of serial time a serial killer podcast if you like this episode please feel free to leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As a disclaimer, no cereal was harmed in the making of this episode, and we hope to see you next time.